You're listening to Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Domestic abuse by a spouse or intimate partner knows no age or ethnic boundaries. Domestic abuse can occur during a relationship or after a relationship has ended. The victims of domestic violence and spousal abuse are five to eight times more likely to be women than men. However, men can also be the victims of domestic abuse. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Amy Ernst. Dr. Ernst is a tenured professor of emergency medicine at the University of New Mexico, and she has just published a research study in the May 2007 issue of Academic Emergency Medicine on the incidence of IPV, intimate partner violence occurring with substance abuse. Today we are discussing recognition of victims of violence between intimate partners and screening patients in your practice. We're glad to have you with us today, Dr. Ernst. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here, too. Okay, first, is this the same thing as domestic violence? Um, Has the name changed for a reason? Intimate partner violence specifically refers to between partners. It could be same-sex partners, but between partners. Domestic violence encompasses the children in the home and everyone in the household. So specifically calling it intimate partner violence just refers to the partners themselves, adult partners. Okay, I see. Now, your study was conducted in the ED. How difficult was it to find patients that were victims of abuse? Would many of them talk with you freely? Sometimes it's a a bit difficult, but in general, there are way more victims than we realize. When we do screening studies, patients are often victims without even knowing it themselves. If you ask them the specific question, are you a victim, they would say, no, not, not me, of course not me. But when you ask questions as in a screening tool, you'll find many of them are victims and they'll start speaking about it as long as, you know, you keep a professional attitude about it and speak freely about it yourself. You know, you mentioned men in your article. Why would you be screening men? Men are victims, too. Oftentimes when they are victims, though, they are not injured as much and as frequently as women. In Albuquerque, New Mexico, in the treatment area, we have, always have about 8 to 10% men in that group. So um, men are victims, and in my screening studies and major EDs, I've found about equal numbers. Really? It sounds kind of high compared to, to national numbers, no? It does, but when we do the actual screenings, we're finding about the same amount. But again, the injuries are often not as severe in men as in women. You mentioned injuries. What signs are there to look for? Well, when somebody has some injuries, it's That's pretty obvious, but sometimes there are no signs, and that's why it's been recommended even by JCAHO and other uh, entities that we screen everyone, because sometimes the signs are subtle, and you may not be able to just see this obviously. You know, you mentioned screening tools. What screening tools are available, and are any of them easy to use in an office or an ED or someone who doesn't have a lot of time with their patients? Probably the first screening tools were pretty pretty long. There's one called the Index of Spouse Abuse and one called the Conflict Tactics Scales, and those are pretty long and require calculations to determine if someone's positive, but there are a couple of tools now that are shorter. One's called the partner violence screen that a lot of people use. That one is just three questions, but it really looks at uh, lifetime abuse and doesn't look at acute issues. We actually developed a scale called the OVAT, the Ongoing Violence Assessment Tool, which is four questions, and it specifically looks at abuse that is currently going on. And, uh, you know, for our emergency department situation, that's 
sort of what we're looking at more than if someone had abuse in their past, although that's an important issue in the emergency department. We're really looking at ongoing issues that need to be dealt with immediately. Can you tell us something about what those questions are? Sure. We actually did several studies in the emergency department, and we used the index of spouse abuse to validate the tool. And we actually framed some of the questions similarly to that screen. Three of them are true-false questions, and one of them is a Likert scale-type question. Yeah, I think our, our listeners would like to hear them. Okay. The first question is, within the last month, my partner has threatened me with a weapon, true or false? Number two, within the last month, my partner has beaten me so badly that I needed to seek medical care, true or false. The third one, and this is just circling the best response, within the last month, my partner has had no respect for my feelings, and it, this is a Likert scale type question. It goes from never to very frequently, so never, rarely, occasionally, frequently, or very frequently, and if it's three or above, that's a positive. And the fourth question is, within the last month, my partner has acted like he or she would like to kill me, true or false? And any positives on those is considered a positive scale for ongoing abuse within the last month. Could you say anything about in the history or the story that the patient gives when they come to the ED in the office? Is there any any clues or something that should run up a red flag even before you get to the questions? Not always. That's sort of a tough question because sometimes they're trying to hide it. They're even hiding it from themselves, I think. And it can be difficult to find. It's like the obvious person will be obvious, but uh, if someone isn't ready to to talk about it or it, it can be difficult unless you as a clinician start the process. And so you have to have a high index of suspicion. Yes and probably almost with everyone just you know think about it and have it high in your list of something to ask part of your review of systems sort of. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233 the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Shira Johnson and I'm speaking today with Dr. Amy Ernst and we're discussing intimate partner violence. Amy, can you tell us something about the etiology of abuse? Are there factors in the, in the history or the childhood or the uh, psychological profiles of these people that make them more prone to explode? Well, intimate partner violence is definitely in all areas, all ages, all ethnic backgrounds, but some issues do tend to lead to violence. There is a cycle of violence, and Family history of violence is a very important issue. If someone sees the violence uh, occurring within their own family, they are very likely to be involved in a situation when they get involved with intimate partners in addition. Also, uh, drugs and alcohol have been related as an issue, which we've been doing some research in that area too. Those are probably the main cofactors that are involved. Okay, so getting back to the first one that you said, which is very interesting, if you have a patient who comes to you and tells you his father was abusive to his mother or his father or mother was abusive to him as a child, then that should run up a red flag? Definitely. You bring up the point about being abused themselves. But I'm finding about 30% of homes where there's intimate partner violence, also there is abuse of, of children in that household. And that definitely leads to a cycle of violence. And this includes sexual abuse? This definitely includes sexual abuse as well. You know, in the emergency room, we're not there for very long. And one thing that I observed when I was practicing was if the patient comes in and if the, if the injury doesn't match the story 
or if the spouse or significant other hovers a little bit too closely, it almost seems paranoid. Could you comment on that or anything else you've seen from practice? I have seen that myself, and I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, story may not fit. And if the spouse talks for the other spouse, uh, she fell, you know, and then you hmm. <laughs> doesn't seem like falling would give you that injury or definitely have a high index of suspicion. I have a little trick for that, too, if a lot of times the spouse will not leave the room and, you know, you try to talk to the patient by themselves, but you, if you're really unable to do it, when you order an x-ray, no spouse can go to x-ray with the patient. So that's kind of a time to run back to x-ray and talk to that person. That's very good. That's a, that's a good tip. Is partner abuse on the rise or is it on the decline? does not seem to be on the decline. From the literature I've read, it's still, still pretty high. Um, it's a high area of research and their attempts to intervene. I, I think we're not quite there yet with all the methods of um, intervention which I think is one of the you know, next steps for like emergency departments and areas where you don't think about having to do screening or, or thinking about this. I, I think we have to keep it in our, in our minds, though, and I think that's why it's not, not really declining very much. What about reporting? Are there any easy steps we can take to report abuse or to help the victim of an abuse after caring for their immediate medical needs? Oh, reporting is a, is a huge issue. Only a few states require reporting and there's really not a lot of research to show whether reporting can actually be harmful. If that report goes out, does that abuser become more abusive? Really, no one has done studies on that. I know I, I used to live in California, and that's one of the states that had mandatory reporting you know, by medical personnel. It was a bit difficult sometimes to, to report when someone was begging you not to. So that's an issue that really just hasn't been studied, though. There really isn't a lot to go on to see if that's the best thing to do. In New Mexico, it's not required. We're required to write a documentation in the medical record, but we're not required to report to law enforcement if the subject doesn't want us to. Is there any one pearl you'd give to the family practitioner, anyone else seeing patients in his office? I mean, I like what you said before about always having a high index of suspicion and, and screening everyone. Is there anything else you'd add to that? Or I think maybe they ought to try making that just part of their routine but not as just a single question. If you say just, are you a victim, they're going to say no. It's, it's difficult. And some people do not think they're victims when they are. But I think just making it part of their routine. When there have been studies looking at whether women are screened, especially women, in practices, they often say they like being screened. They like that the physician talked about it. In general, I haven't heard you know, negatives about just making that part of your history and physical you know, review of systems. A couple of questions. Has this ever happened to you? And one of the things that surprised me most was when I was starting to do screening studies in the emergency department, several residents came up to me and told me about their situations where they were abused either in the past or presently. So uh, once you start bringing up that topic, you, you'll be amazed at how many people will say, hey, you know, that happened to me. And I was doing a screening study recently in the emergency department at UNM, and one of the nurses started telling me about her her story, and I got her in contact with the appropriate people, and I'm very glad I. she happened to just see that I was doing the study, and, you know, she just started talking about what was happening to her. I think, you know, bringing it up is the main the main thing to do. I think that's a door that emotionally is often closed and not looked at once the incident is over, 
And as you said, when you provide an opportunity for someone to speak, through talking through it, they can heal and they may become more open. The primary care doctor just opens the door and gives them a chance to talk. One last question. Where can primary care doctors or anybody with a busy practice, where can they go for more information on, on reporting and the needs of these patients and how to handle it? I know there are a lot of websites, national websites for domestic violence. The Family Violence Prevention Fund, that's one of them. The Family Violence Prevention Fund has a very good website and has some contact areas, but also just looking into the local system and what's available locally. Know what's there. Talk to the social workers. And in Albuquerque, we have a group that particularly deals with domestic violence. And, you know, we know that group and we know the phone numbers and needs to be common knowledge for practitioners. Find out what's in your local area. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Ernst. Well, thank you. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any other segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.